Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats number 143. I'm Jeremy and as always I'm joined this week by Jim Kisselli of CoolStuffInc.com and Ed Wynn of TalesOfAdventure.com. This cast is always is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. How are you doing this week, Jim? I am sick. So yeah, it appears that it appears that my co-casters are feeling a bit under the weather this week. Um, and if you were here last week, you know that Ed has just been miserable for like a month. So he'll be on shortly. Uh, Jim, we had some interesting developments in the magic world with uh, Modern Horizons. Is there anything you want to talk about that caught your eye so far from the spoilers? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of sweet cards. Uh there's definitely a higher power level to most of them. Um, there's a lot of cards that I like played with when they were standard legal, and obviously I have fond memories of. So like Choking Tethers and Lava Dart and Firebolt and Goblin Matron were all standard legal when I started playing like semi-competitive magic in high school. Um, the Full Art Snow-Covered Lands is pretty great. Um, it's been a really long time since they printed snow-covered lands, and they're pretty expensive for just, like, regular basics. Hopefully this will make them very, very cheap. Um, probably not super cheap because, like, they're still $10, $10 booster packs, but there should be one in every pack. So I'm hoping that it does something to help the price of, like, especially the mountain. The mountain's quite expensive. Um... There's like these nice, like cool callback cards, like Deep Forest Hermit, which is a card that's a lot like Deranged Hermit, which has it has Vanishing instead of Echo. It's kind of cool. Um, the new Fetch Land that searches for a basic land could be interesting. I'm not sure where I'm going to play that, but I think that it's like at least worth considering for a lot of my commander decks. For Bergamos. Bergamos, yeah. I mean, or no, it wouldn't it be better in Omnath because you get the. Oh. Sure, whatever. I mean, I don't. Is there a reason that you want fetch lands in Borbergmos? You just want to throw them at people, no? I mean, yeah, but it red green has a lot of land synergy, so it's something mm. you probably want. I think modern blue white will definitely want this instead of playing arid mesa or scolding turn. Yeah, probably. Um, Morphon the Boundless is probably my favorite card so far. Uh, it's very obviously made for commander. Uh, it's a five color commander. It's a tribal commander for whatever tribe you tribe you feel like playing with. It's just it's like all the things that you could ever possibly want. So that's cool. Um, I'm definitely going to try to get a foil one of those. It, I already have a deck that like doesn't really have a good tribal commander, and this one is definitely better than the one I'm already playing. Um, Flusterstorm has been confirmed to be in the set, which is good for people that play modern i guess i don't know actually how good it's going to be but uh it is important to note that it is the Biobox box promo it is not available in foil and it is not in the booster set itself so a lot of weird things going on there i don't know how many like i feel like there was a master's printing of this already i just can't remember where it was iconic Oh, yeah. So it's been a while since we got Flusterstorm. Oh, no, it was in, yeah, Iconic Masters. 
it's been a while since we got a Flusterstorm reprint. Uh, it has different art this time, so it's possible that this actually just makes it more expensive because they're actually not releasing that many copies of it into circulation. Um, I'm not sure how many BioBox promos are being distributed compared to like a normal standard set release. So if you are a, a player that often plays like a blue control deck in modern, um, I don't know that I would necessarily wait to get your fluster storms. If you feel like that's a card that will shore up some of your matchups. I don't play a ton of modern right now personally, so I can't tell you like one way or another if this is going to be a good or bad card. Uh, that's not what this cast is really about. But it is important to note like the distribution method of this fluster storm, which means that there'll probably be more people looking for it than there will be people receiving new ones. Um, but there's some other sweet things going on here. Um, Ice Fang Quaddle is like kind of like a Baleful Strix with Flash. It's not Baleful Strix. I said it's kind of like it, but it's not it. Um, <laughs> it depends on what other cards care about snow stuff and if there are any like snow duels available, um, what kind of impact this could have on modern. I It feels like to me like if this card's in the set, that Baleful Strix is probably not in the set, but I don't think that like there's a tremendous amount of information that you can glean from that one way or another. I don't think it matters all that much. Uh, I think Force of Vigor, which is... Well, I guess we should talk about Force of Negation. Uh, Card sucks for Legacy. I mean, sure. It's not... Le like, it's legal in Legacy, but I don't think that you would want to play this over Force of Will. Um, but there is, like... You know, the fact that you can play it in Modern and... <coughs> There are no Force of Will equivalents other than this. Um, it's like difficult to understand. Like it's difficult to predict where this is going to go, right? Like it's there's no other options that you have. So if there are decks that Force of Will would have otherwise been good against, or like this like weird free negate would otherwise be good against, um, then this card would be quite expensive and quite popular. If it turns out that all of the new cards that get added to this to, to modern don't actually speed the format up but give you know decks a lot more staying power against the degeneracy then you don't actually need to play this or, or want to play this even though it's like not the most miserable thing to actually cast like the alternate casting cost is probably not what's going to happen more often than not like one blue blue for a negate that's not the worst so I'm not sure what's going to happen with this card. It's a card that I would be surprised if it's pre-ordering for less than $10 at this point. I haven't looked at the price of it because it's not something I'm particularly interested in purchasing myself. You know what I'm interested in? The green fours. Not only is it good as a cyborg card in eternal <laughs> formats, but it's also going to see a ton of play in EDH because people will try and go for their combo with you tapped out, and then you just absolutely blow them out. So I, really I, mean, like I definitely agree. I think that Force, so far, Force of Vigor is one of the most powerful cards that have been released or have been previewed, I should say. Uh, coincidentally, is the CoolStuffInc.com uh, preview card, which is nice for, of them to share with us. Um, but I do like that it's not card disadvantage if you don't pay its casting cost because it kills two things. And it's like. Your, your options for disenchant things or disenchant style things are like you can pay two mana for naturalize, but nobody really does. You can pay three mana for a crows and grip, 
or Reclamation Sage, which are in like most decks. And then when you get to four mana, you have to kind of kill everything, or you have to be free. And this card is free. So I think that it's going to see a lot of play in, in um, Standard, or sorry, not Standard, uh, Commander, because there are enough decks that don't play white that do play green. Um, this is a card that is basically like a free version of the what's the is, is it's two is it one white white or two white white the exile two things if it's in your main phase the I know what you're spell. talking about but I forgot the name of the card yeah it has like the swords on it and I like can't remember the name of it yeah but I can see it and it's like in time spiral and it was in the first like commander set Not and return then, to dust. it was something it else. is return to dust it is return to oh. dust yeah, it is Return of Dust. Yes, yeah, two white, white, exile an artifact or enchantment. If you cast it during your main phase, exile another one. Um, I mean, that card's pretty popular on Commander. It's in 22% of white decks, according to EDH Rec. And this card is more or less the same thing in green, but it can also be free. And let me tell you, free is good. So yep. uh, I definitely see this as being one of the winning cards come out of this set so far. Um, there's also like just some other sweet stuff like Undead Augur is a card that got previewed late today. Uh, it's a two mana two two. This is whenever it or another zombie you control dies, draw a card and lose life. There's definitely a lot of tribal zombie co commanders and even just like casual kitchen table people that would want to play this kind of card. It's not a bad rate. A two mana two two is not unreasonable, and the fact that like zombies already have a lot of sacrifice things and it doesn't say. Like, it doesn't have all the things that would normally otherwise make it bad. Like, it doesn't say non-token. It doesn't say, um, like, it doesn't say only another creature. Like, if the if the 2-2 two -two itself dies, you get to draw a card. Like, it seems like this set is pretty juiced. And uh, I am looking forward to seeing what the rest of it brings. Also, Wizards really seems to hate Boggles. Because we've gotten two Edict effects in, like, a month. We have Diabolic Edict. And then we also have Liliana's Triumph. Well, I don't know that you would play both of them. And there's also Wing Shards in this set, which is like kind of hilarious and awful at the same time. Um, I don't, I don't think that there's any reason that people would play Diabolic Edict over um, just Liliana's Triumph. The decks that play Black usually play Liliana, so it's just upside to be playing that instead. Um, but. I think the like probably one of the more impactful cards maybe for modern is uh, Factor Fiction is getting reprinted and being pushed into modern and um, a lot of the older cards from like Invasion and Odyssey and Onslaught Block when they have been reprinted have gotten much more expensive for the older printings especially They're already gone people yeah been I, all day yeah like I have a foil uh, Invasion Factor Fiction that I've had for. I think I actually got it from you like a year ago or so ago. Yep. Um, if you like have stores that have just like bulk boxes of older commons and uncommons, it's probably worth your time to go look and see if they have any factor fictions. It's unlikely that they do, but if they do, it could be like the invasion ops, which are like a couple of bucks each because they get reprinted in standard. Um, and you know, it, it could just be, you know, one of those you know, stores that have like, you know, anything in the box is like a quarter or whatever, and you can make a few dollars just pulling out cards that would otherwise, you know, not be used at all. Yep. Ed, what are your thoughts on Modern Horizons? 
Uh, I think Jim pretty much hit every major point and every major card. Um, it is interesting to see Snowback as a mechanic. I think it's one of those things where this is probably the best place where they can really design snow cards without having to design an entire snow set. Um, I do expect that we'll see a few more. Uh, Scrying Sheets has obviously spiked already. I think that happened a little bit earlier. Um, Into the North. Into the North is another good one. Um, the Ice Fang Coddle uh, may open up something new. It's it's fairly interesting. It's uh, it, I, th I think like a lot of these cards, the fact that they're like, kind of exploring new design space and the reprints had seem a little lackluster, I want to say so far, makes me think that they're more focusing on kind of tweaking cards that already exist rather than just making hard reprints. Um, so far, I think the fact that they haven't really spoiled anything super big, I think we've seen, what, two Mythics so far? And a lot of commons, uncommons makes me think that there's still some <clears throat> some pretty big reveals to be coming up. Obviously, they probably won't put those in the hands of like content creators and the various um, MPL players for them to spoil. There are three mythics. Three mythics: the yeah. Pyromancer, uh, the the Shapeshifter, and yep. then Sarah, which we got a million years ago. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, That's there's right. only there's also only two Planeswalkers in this set, and the other Planeswalker is a new character. Okay, so there you go. Um, I think there's still a lot to um come out from this. I do expect that they will. Uh, I I think they're just more or less slow rolling us. Um, I tweeted out previously. Be it's yeah. better than the set where they just like spoiled everything good the first week, and then players complained there was nothing left. I think right. that was Eternal Masters. Uh, it was the one that had the recruiter in it. Eight twenty five. It was like yeah. It was like it was oh, like eight twenty five. Was like on Tuesday of the first week they were like done with all of the good cards. Which is a little disappointing, I, but I don't know if that's like even necessarily the case. Like, even if you don't get the exact reprint that you want, like, there's enough new and powerful things in this set that I don't think it's going to be boring to see the rest of it spoiled. Even like yep. the commons and uncommons have been pretty exciting. Yep. Right. Yep. I think all that uh, is true. Anything else you guys want to talk about with Modern Horizons? How much does it cost? I'll be so honest. Distributor I, pricing is four dollars, four and a half dollars a pack, if I remember correctly. So you'll see this selling in shops for seven to ten, probably, depending on what's in it. Okay, that's uh, like important information to know because uh, it's difficult to understand like how much. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, how much these these booster boxes will cost because there's no MSRP anymore, and these are not um, these are not typical sets where the, they're not expected to have the three dollar booster pack uh, range. Uh, there's also a pre-release for this set. Did you know that? I don't think I cared. <laughs> like whatever. That doesn't. That's. I don't think that's financially viable. I mean, it, it's a it's a pretty cheap way to get booster packs if your store is selling them for you know like 
Cool Stuff has uh, pre-releases uh, set up. It's only one day. Or I lied. No, it's two days. Uh, Saturday and Sunday. But you could buy a sealed deck event for 40 bucks, which is significantly less money than the, the amount of money you spend on the six packs you were going to buy anyway. So it would be important. Did they, did they announce if there's going to be pre-release promo? I have no idea. Okay. I don't know. It, it might be worth uh, investigating if you're someone that wants to own cards from the set and also enjoys limited magic. Uh, you may want to play in one of these pre-releases. Uh, even if you don't own particular, open particularly good cards, you just enjoy opening booster packs anyway. Uh, it's probably better than just cracking packs. Uh, it's probably going to be cheaper for the most part. And then you have some options to win prize support, I suppose. Ed? Uh... The pre-release is always kind of odd. I feel like the pre-release is something that doesn't receive enough attention. Um, I think there was a set, I want to say it was Battle Bond or something, or one, Conspiracy 2, where nope, they tried to have Bond. a pre-release. Okay, yeah, the people just didn't know about it, and the the uh, from what I heard, a lot of the pre-releases just kind of fell flat. Um that being said, uh, it's probably a good way to just open packs if you just want to go open um, open them, see some new cards, have some fun. I think it is important to note that I think a lot of people are still confused about the number of packs inside a box. Um, based on Jeremy's numbers, uh, the people that are pre-ordering pack or pre-ordering, uh, pre-selling, Jesus, uh, boxes for... I see them for as low as like 190. I think those people are still under the impression that boxes are have 24 packs because there's no way people could be paying a roughly five dollars a pack and selling 36 of them for 190 unless they're unless they really don't care about making a sub 10 percent per box. Um, I'm certain if they'll still honor those. I that's that's really up to them. It might be that part of it is that you don't get a buy box promo for ordering online, so you probably want to be careful with that. Um, I definitely know people have gone burned by that before. Um, that being said, I think that, again, because we're getting slow rolled, I imagine there will be something big that drops, and then everyone will just go out and try and rush to buy boxes at the same time. That's usually how uh, hype works. So. Yep. I think we have probably like another, what, two weeks or something of spoilers? We do because the release is the second week of June, I believe. I think it's the 14th. Yeah, and there's technically new cards in the reveal. So uh, imagine that we'll have a pretty interesting set of uh, financial weeks for this week and next as more cards get spoiled. And speaking of interesting, Ed, do you want to talk about our uh, California meetup? No. It's a good story. It's not. You're telling it. No. It's really not that interesting. Okay, so it's interesting because... Sorry, I got to cut you off for a second uh, because I wanted to go look up what the... They, they posted a, a spoiler schedule of who's going to spoil things and when they're going to spoil them. Uh, the last spoiler date is next Thursday, so by next Friday we should know all the cards. Yes. So uh, you made it sound like it was two weeks after this week, but it's not. It's the twenty eighth, I think. Right? Yeah. Um. So I met up with Ed at the airport completely on accident. 
and we were sitting down looking over magic cards and the guy across from us does like the best gym impression ever he pulls out like an unsleeved draft deck and he's like man i'm having fun with war of the spark cards you guys play magic it was like the cast was reunited for the first time since vegas why why is that a me impression because you are the casual player yeah but i don't have unsleeved draft decks you seem like the type of guy to carry around a War of the Spark draft deck in your backpack. And then like no, when you see other players' no. magic cards, you just whip it out. So No, if see I'm the I'm the like the super pretentious person at a pre-release. I only play with unstable basics and I have taco bola sleeves that I only play for with limited events. So no, I would not be that person. Ah. I thought it was funny. Ed was sick and miserable. So I, I thought it was cool. Anyway. What's our credit winner of the week? Our credit winner this week is Brad Nidkowski. 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 I don't know, man. Like, I'm trying my best. I'm I'm not a linguist, okay? Uh, so he asked, when preparing a buy list order of 7,400 cards, what's the best way to send the cards out that is cost-effective and protects the cards? My order contains both bulk and 20-plus dollar cards, and I'm a bit nervous sending the more expensive cards unsleeved and not in the top loader. Um, depending on how many cards you have, I would probably either pack them in a fat pack box or a um, 800 count box or a 400 count box if you don't have that many of them, uh, and then put them in you know a flat rate mailer. If you have more cards than that, you can put them into a flat rate box but they're more likely to get jumbled up in there and that's bad. And sometimes they'll charge you to resource the cards that you sent them. So um, it depends on how many you have. Honestly, if you have extremely expensive things, like if you're selling like power, sending power to someone, like don't feel like you have to send it unsleeved or not in a top loader. You can definitely do that if you want. Just like don't send, don't send Jeremy a bunch of quarters in top loaders because he'll probably just send them back to you without opening them. I like uh, 400 count BCW boxes and for expensive cards, I just use one perfect fit because sometimes if you're sending like 10 to 20, 40 to $50 cards, the graders won't give it a hard time. But if you double sleeve it, they reserve the right to light your buy list on fire because one of the most infuriating things you can do um, when selling your cards is like keep everything in the binders double sleeved and then the buyer has to pull everything out and it's a pain in the ass so if you have like 10 cards worth like a couple hundred bucks just like throw it in a BCW 400 count tape the 400 count shut and just use a perfect fit on the expensive cards should be fine but Ed is the master of carrying cardboard uh, so what would you recommend Ed uh, so the way I do this is again, it depends on how many you have. Um, if it's if it's, you're only sending like a few expensive cards, obviously just ship it how you normally ship orders in a bubble mailer. Uh, anything above about twenty cards or so, I would just stick it inside a two hundred uh, count BCW box. It's about, I guess, me making hand gestures to sort of help. Um, it's a small box that's bigger than a deck box. And it's also big enough that if you print out a label through PayPal multi-order shipping, you can actually tape a label around the box. And then I would just take foam or uh, tissue paper or something, stuff it in there. Um, beyond that, if you're sending 
typical buy list order is 400, 600, 800 count boxes. Um, if the weight goes above one pound, I would ship in a flat rate. If not, usually it's a little bit cheaper to send it via just first class. Um, as for the cards themselves, depend again, depending on how many there are. Um, if there are expensive cards in there, I will generally actually um, put cards into team bags and just label team bags one of four, two of four, three of four, four of four, um, and and uh, pull it so that the cards don't really move around and then tape it uh, shut. Um, so that way, the cards are all ordered along the the way the buy list has them. Because um, I know some places, like if you use the tissue player buy list, they're actually very uh, strict on um, on the cards being in the correct order. I've never mixed up my order with buy list, so I don't know how much certain places care. I know some places will deduct you if it's on order. Uh, beyond that... Um, I would definitely keep some of the more valuable card sleeve despite what they say. Uh, I would just use a loose penny sleeve or something. And if you're really concerned, again, use the team bag strategy. Uh, you can probably fit about 30, like 20 to 30 unsleeved cards. 20 inside. to 25. Yeah. Based on the ones I own. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Just fit them in there. Just pull them shut so they don't really move around. And then uh, inside the BCW boxes, I would use, again, use tissue paper to kind of line the top so the cards aren't shifting up up and down inside the box itself. Okay. So, Jim, where can uh, Brad claim his credit? And where can people ask questions for next week? Uh, Brad, you can send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com. And during the next cast, I will send you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffing.com. If you'd like to win next week, you can leave a question on the coolstuffing.com page that will go up usually the day after the cast. And uh, if your question gets chosen, you win $25 of coolstuffing.com store credit. So, as Ed has said, for what? 12 weeks, 14 weeks. Players start to notice when the interest on cards start going crazy. For example, Micah Synthlatis, Trinisphere, a lot of random reserveless cards. I know Sliver Queen is over $100 right now as well. Um, Ed, have you noticed anything like trending up that hasn't just outright doubled or tripled that you've been keeping an eye on lately? Um. I think we're kind. We're just kind of getting at the point where people are um, enjoying magic, I, as it were. I, 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 it's really hard to describe. You can it. do that. It's kind of the same as Dominaria last year. I think there's a point where people were um, excited to play standard, excited to play limited. Uh, the format was was changing. I think there was just a lot of dynamic things going on. Um, it feels like this is kind of capturing that same essence from last year. War of the Spark, obviously, people are people love the Planeswalkers. War of the Spark has definitely done very well. Um, they've it's been almost a month since it's been three weeks since it's released, and now obviously people are trying to look at the next thing, which is Modern Horizons. Uh, people are going to see how that changes up Modern, especially because the Pro Tour. At the end of July, which is about a little bit more than a month after Modern Horizons come out, is actually modern again. Um, and then I obviously I imagine that'll kind of be the the big showcase to see how 
modern changes, if at all, with the new cards. Um, generally, summer has been a fairly decent time for uh, Magic. It's obviously hit or miss. There's obviously the people that just decide, you know, I'm selling, I'm selling my cards. I'm done with Magic for this set of time. Magic is kind of observed as a school year activity for me. And now it's summer. I'm done. I want to go vacation, be outside, etc. Have a social life. Whatever that means. Um, <laughs> so, if, but if you talk to Magic players outside of Magic, isn't that like having a social life? No, because all of my friends that used to play Magic quit, so none of us play Magic anymore. But we still talk to each other, so that's like having a social life. Sure. Ed, um, I I think in summary, I think this is just uh, Wizards is definitely done a good job of getting people excited about magic um obviously they need to do that to be selling their products they want people to fundamentally be opening boosters because that's what makes money for them they've definitely done a little bit better with set releases um the only part that concerns me is that we don't really have any sort of time frame for what's being released we know that we have a release date for Modern Horizons. We have Core 2020, which comes out in July. Uh, and then we have Commander 2019, 2019, I think midway through August. Um, what, 20? Commander 20? Yeah, isn't it, isn't it numbered the same way as the core set where it's the, the next year's? Regardless, we have the next set of Commander, but then beyond that, we don't really know anything about the fall sets. I've kind of been curious. I'm kind of expecting announcement day for them to say that, hey, this is the next block or set that's dropping a uh, new plane, whatever it is. But that being said, I think as of right now, uh, there's, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of excitement about Magic that's obviously good. The more, the more visibility Magic has, um, the better it is for the game. I think with people getting caught up in the new cards, uh, obviously there's a lot of new interactions. Karn, uh, Karn with Michael's and Gladys is obviously the new one for modern Neoform. The Neoform combo, we talked about that briefly last week. That's a new addition. Uh, modern Horizons is going to shake things up, hopefully with whatever, whatever, a new combo deck, a new snow deck, etc. Um, I think all all of those things together are just contributing to cards getting more expensive because with new with new design space, new decks, new interactions, people are actually wanting to go out and buy cards instead of just sticking with a stagnant format, just sticking to what they already have and what they what's already good. Great analysis. Jim, anything you want to add about that? No, I think that Ed is uh, correct in all of the things he says. Wow, that's a hot take. Yeah, uh, I, I realized halfway through saying that that there was no <laughs> coming back for it, so I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to own it. I'll end it the way I started. Yeah. Um, are there any standard targets you guys are starting to look at as um, M19 gets closer to rotating out? Uh, I did watch some of the Star City Open last week, and Command the Dreadhorn looked insane. Yeah, I agree uh, with you there. I actually got to watch some of that. 
that that card is just so busted with with everyone's what everyone's doing right now. Uh, the new Sarkon looked very good. Um, a lot of people are playing the three mana walkers that like don't do a whole lot, but then they turn into dragons and kill your opponent's planeswalkers, and that was pretty sweet to watch. Um, so I think that there's definitely a lot more to War of the Spark than people have explored thus far. Um, even just like if you look at the MPL stuff, like everyone's playing Esper and it looks kind of drab, but there's still people innovating and making new decks. And I think that there are more cards in this set that people will realize are quite good, but we just haven't got to that point yet. Yeah, another thing that I've been looking at it is Crucible of Worlds. This was down to like 10 bucks for a while. Biolists are very hot on this again. I think that card's like 16 to 18, depending on where you look. And I don't see this card slowing down at rotation because it is not being played at all in standard. Um, this was an easy call, I feel like, from M19. And in a similar vein, the uh, Flip Nickel Bolas, um, Biolists are starting to get pretty heavy on that again. So... Those are just two marquee mythics I would keep an eye on because yeah, I don't see them going anywhere. I was hoping that Nicobolus is going to get less expensive after a rotation. Yeah, I thought they were down to 15, and then I saw some people sign up for 25, and I was like, oh, you know, casual demand must be really strong for this card. So I misjudged yeah. where that price would fall. I think that we've definitely come to the point where, like, a lot of super casual cards don't crater during their lifetime in standard like people expect they used to like uh there's not going to be like another like dictative arabos like that card's just not th those cards are just never going to exist because there are so many people now that they just don't play standard but will still buy the cards from standard anyway so that's why cards like smothering ties are very expensive despite not being played in standard and it probably won't get any less expensive as time goes on Ed? Um, I think Nicol Bolas is a bit of an exception. I think that card is both in a design space where it is aggressively costed, so it's not outside the realm possibility that we see a Grixis deck be good. Um, but it, the nature of you know being Nicol Bolas himself, um, being legendary, uh, being in three colors, being a flip card that turns into a Planeswalker, I think all that. Has a lot of draw for, um, for casual appeal. Uh, uh, I think the things that you want me looking for in terms of good specs and standard are cards that have a fairly fairly narrow effect that would be good at a different time if the meta was different. Um, the nature of mono red and mono white with these very very aggressive decks is, I feel like probably keeping a lot of decks that. Do cool things, for example. Um, probably kind of on the outer rim of what is actually viable in standard. Um, there are definitely a few things in standard that feel a little bit oppressive right now. I think if we start thinking forward, um, uh, we can definitely see. Oh, this deck could easily exist if these cards weren't there to keep them down, um, right? Like Goblin Chain Whirler does a certain has. It keeps uh, token strategies from just being good. Um, the, the fact that it exists. Um, I imagine that, again, Mono White, it puts, such, it puts so much pressure on. Um, it makes something like... Uh, 
something like Prime Speaker Vanifar. Like that card, I don't I, I feel like that card is a good spec right now. It's pretty much bottomed out from when it first came out in Ravnica Allegiance. It's not outside the realm of possibility that we could play some sort of mid-range grindy deck uh with this card. Um but that obviously just can't exist right now because next to the phase is too good. Um and the aggressive decks are too good. Um so We'll have to kind of wait and see. I think I'm probably going to start shifting my gears towards specking into Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance relatively soon. Most of those cards have definitely bottomed out in price. Uh, especially with the new block structure, we didn't really have much opportunity to draft uh, Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance. It was basically, okay, we're drafting three packs of Guilds of Ravnica for its life for it, the four months in, in standard and now Ravnica Legion's out. We have a completely new draft set. We're no longer opening Guilds of Ravnica. Um, and now that War of the Spark is out, we're no longer opening up Ravnica Allegiance. Um, and there's definitely a lot of powerful cards, I think, again, are just kept down by uh, the nature standard. And I think a lot of those cards have a lot of room to grow once rotation hits in September. Anything else you want to add, Jim? No. All right. I agree with everything that Ed ever says. Well, then. Um, let's get into pick of the week. Ed, what is your pick for the week? Um, I threw out Prime Speaker Vanifar. I think that like that one seems fairly obvious. It's it, Theoretically, we could have something in Modern Horizons that pushes it over the top. Neoform kind of takes that space so maybe it's not the best spec but the um having picked birthing pod previously and just watching birthing pod um i just see the supply on that card decreasing and the card has remained relatively stable even though you can't play in modern people definitely like that effect um so prime secret vampire is kind of a freebie uh beyond that i think uh uh thief of sandy is a card it's a rare that basically start out as bulk and has done nothing but go up and the nature of the esper decks from you have not really esper aggro but fairly aggressive based esper decks all the way up to esper control thief of sandy seems to be wanting to be played basically in all those decks which is kind of interesting um the fact that it's four dollars now and it still seems to be increasing makes me think that this card will be probably one of one of the pillars of standard in in three months. I don't see Esper going anywhere anytime soon, or even just straight blue black. And come, excuse me, come September, this is going to be the type of card that's going to be fairly difficult to find, especially if if decks are wanting to play it all around. So I think if you have any sort of plan of playing standard, I would own. I would make sure I, I own four. And beyond that, I think if you're wanting to throw money at $100 buys you 20-ish copies, and I think it's easy enough to tuck those away, I could easily see this being an $8 to $10 card come September. I like that pick. Jim? Uh, so much like uh, Ed, I also talked about the card I'd like to pick this week, which is Command the Dread Horde. Uh, I think that it might not be the best card at the moment, but there's definitely a lot of possibility that it gets better in the future, uh, especially if the red decks get less good after rotation, which is almost certainly going to happen since um, most of the deck is not 
going to be in standard anymore. Uh, all of the one and two drop creatures are leaving, except for the steam can. And does Dominaria rotate with the next rotation? I don't remember. I believe so. Yeah, I think it starts with Ravnica, right? Uh, yes, you have Ixalan, Rivals of Ixalan, Dominaria, and M19 rotating. Yeah, so Chain Whirler also leaves. I, I don't know. I'm 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 kind of big on like what I'm seeing right now is a lot of value based play with a lot of different planeswalkers. I think that Command the Dread Horde is going to very quickly become one of those cards that turns a lot of your excess life total in in a like mid range mirror into a ton of cards that that impact the board immediately. Uh, right now, you can buy them for forty five cents on TCG Player. I like that's basically bulker status at this point. They don't get any cheaper than this. So if you know there's decks that start playing two, three, four copies of this card as a mirror breaker, I think that it'll be very important that you own yours early rather than later. It might not it might not go up that much. Like it might be a three dollar card instead of a fifty cent card that it is right now. But you know, if you save yourself ten dollars on your playset, I think that's definitely worth getting. I have a lot this week. Um Extra planar lens for commander is interesting because previously people played it because their opponents couldn't afford snow covered basics, but uh, we don't know where snow covered basics will be. Jim, oh, I'm so tilted. I, I had a game where I had an extra planar lens in my hand and I didn't have snow basics in my deck yet for my mono blue deck. And yeah, it, it's it's really miserable when you get to when you play that and you give like half of your opponent's extra mana. So yeah. I, th I think that I will definitely be playing it more often. I think that I agree with your your assessment here that Snow Basics makes Extra Planar Lands a much better card. Um, so I'm keeping my eye on that. The other thing I'm keeping an eye on is there's a huge price uh, difference between some of the Shocklands right now. I still don't like targeting Hollowed Fountain because of that event deck printing it was in, and it seemed a little soft, and it's seeing a ton of play right now in the Esper deck. Um, God the Shrine is just starting to rise, and Bios on stuff like Stomping Grounds are fairly anemic right now, so it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Like Card Kingdom's paying five bucks last time I checked for Stomping Ground, which is for the older ones, which is fairly weak. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Um, and then my final pick of the week, I guess. I'm just it's just like a lot of stuff I've been thinking about this week. Um, dump your check lands now. Um, they're gonna go down to like 50 cents on BIOS, and then just pick them back up and sit on them until either they get reprinted in standard again and you get free money, or they slowly and gradually rise over time. Um but you could get like five to six bucks for a lot of the check lands at one point retail and th three to four bucks on a lot of buy lists. So get out of them and then just enter in like a couple months because there's going to be plenty of these floating around. So just keep your eye out. Where can people go ahead and find you guys if they want to interact with you? Uh, I'm Ed. You guys can find me on Twitter at edwin13. I will be behind the Tales of Adventure booth this weekend in Providence and next weekend in Kansas City. My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at phrst underscore. You can find me on coolstuffing.com. I'll have an article going up Friday about how I feel about the first week of um, 
what is this modern horizon spoilers so if you're interested in how we how i feel about these cards you can read that article then um and you can find me on this lovely podcast usually every week i'm jeremy you can find me on twitter at missouri mtg you can find me terrorizing ed at gp providence and then we are finally coming back to the great state of missouri for a grand prix next week so i will definitely be at that one getting barbecue not really on site um you can find this cast on twitter at cartel underscore finance you can find us on our sponsors, coolstuffinc.com, YouTube, SoundCloud, MTG Cast, and um, there's one more, but I forget what it is. So that one. But thanks for listening, guys. We do appreciate it. As always, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.